0: Our scripture reading today is from 1st Timothy chapter 3 verses 8 through 13. Deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience and let them also be tested first, then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Father, we thank you that uh, this text in front of us today lists some Important characteristics of the office of deacon And it gives us a view of how significantly you view this role And for that matter how significantly we should view this role So help us today to see your blueprint for your church That we might at this church know how to live out the calling given to us in this great book of first timothy Father, we come from various walks of life today with who knows all sorts of challenging circumstances in the last week, and we just pray that now for the next few moments you just help us to hear from you and then know how we ought to respond. Let me pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So between last Sunday and this Sunday, I'm not sure if you're even aware of how much can really happen in the lives of people in just a week. In fact, one of the joys of being involved in ministry is you get to see the the beautiful things and also the hard things of what happens in the context of people's lives. I want to give you just a a sense of just some of the things that happened in people's lives in our church in the last week. Here's a few examples. Veda Lyles came home this week after successful heart valve uh, surgery. Margaret Plattner and her family celebrated the life of her husband, Frank, who passed away two weeks ago after 67 years of marriage. Max, the preemie grandson of Greg and Muriel Candler, was approved for a new and much-needed medical treatment, and they are rejoicing. At the same time, Don and Elma Walker are grieving with their family and praying for them over the unexpected death of their nephew, Ted. Shy Fox, the 20-month-old grandson of Monty Fox, is recovering from cancer surgery and treatment for liver cancer in Cincinnati. In the last two weeks, Dwayne and Jessica Jones and Robert and Ellen Fellows were blessed with new babies born into their families, and Chris and Becky Bell just received two adoptive children from Africa. In the last week, we've had 16 people who stopped by the church for financial assistance and we helped them. All of that in just a week. And, and that may have been something like your week. Like, not just all of that, but you know what I mean. <laughs> but the reality is a lot can change in a week. A lot of things can take place in simply seven days. And the beautiful thing about the church is this. And the reason why I am fired up about the church, why I love gospel ministry, is because of this reason. We get to take the Word of God and apply it to people's circumstances. The beautiful thing about the church and being a part of the body of Christ is in the good moments, the bad moments, the ugly moments, the joyful moments, the celebration moments, the tragic moments, the Word of God and the people of God are there. And when that happens, you get to see the beauty of the gospel lived out. You see, a lot can happen in the course of the week, and yet what you'll find is that the Word of God speaks directly to people's circumstances. The long-term legacy of this church has been to combine both the Word of God and the personal care of the people of God. In fact, one of our core values is this core value called extravagant grace. And by that we mean this, that we want to treat other people with the same level of grace that we ourselves have been treated, that we realize how gracious God has been to us, and therefore we want to come alongside them in the difficult and dark moments to be as gracious and as helpful as God has been to us. When you think of this coming alongside people and their circumstances, when you think of what it means to take the word and apply it to their life events, there's a role in the Bible that's directly connected to that coming alongside role, and that is the role of a deacon. 1 Timothy 3, 8-13, our text today, identifies for us the qualifications for this role, and it's really important for us to think through what deacons are supposed to be and do. And friends, I have to tell you, it's especially important for us as a church right now, on this Sunday, in this season of our church's history, to think through the importance of this role. Because one of the things that our elders and our staff have been talking about for the last number of months is how to be sure that in the midst of all the things that are going on here, that we keep this ministry incredibly personal. Despite the size, despite um, three large services, despite almost 4,000 people being here every Sunday, we want to be sure that we still are able to match the Word of God with people's circumstances. And, And here's why. Because we believe passionately that success is not measured by the number of bodies in the building. Rather, success is measured by our ability to really care for those people. We refuse to be a large, numbers-oriented, well-oiled machine of a ministry. Instead, what we want to do is to be able to fill the Great Commission, go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, and at the same time be able to fill the Great Commandment, and that is to love our neighbors as ourselves. And we think that when those two things combine, church is a beautiful thing. And so for us, this, this idea of the diaconate that I'm going to talk about today is really, really important about how to be able to blend the Word of God and people's circumstances. And we're not just going to talk about deacons today. We're going to talk about what we need you to do in embracing this diaconate sort of ministry on a very personal and significant level. Last week, I showed you that the church is to be led by two important offices, and those offices are elders elders. And deacons, last week we looked at elders, elders who are primarily responsible for governance and shepherding. They are to provide teaching-oriented leadership and governance-oriented leadership for the body of Christ. And we saw this most clearly identified for us as it relates to the three words describing the office of elder in First Peter chapter 5. Let me just review that text with you and the Greek words that were embedded in the text. It says, so I exhort you, presbuteros, elders, among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is to be revealed, shepherd, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, exercising episkopos, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock, and when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. A text identifies for us that elders have a very significant and important role, blending both the teaching, the um governor uh, the governance, and also the shepherding of God's people. So while elders are primarily responsible for that governance, deacons, on the other hand, are primarily responsible for service and for care. Now, it's not that the elders don't care. Don't get that in your head. That, well, this group, they're responsible for the care. I ran into a pastor one time who said that he had a, a staff member whose job was compassion, and he said, we pay him to care, and that way I don't have to. And that didn't work so well with his people. So um, w- we're not suggesting that the elders don't care, but what, nor, nor are we suggesting that the deacons don't lead. What it means is this, is that this division of ministry, this idea of caring for people is so important that we can't just assume that it's going to happen without providing some group of people to give it guidance, direction, and leadership. In fact, the church needs a well developed and vibrant eldership, and the church also needs a well developed and vibrant diaconate. It needs both in order for it to be well fed, well led, and able to care for the needs within the body. So last week we looked at the qualification for elders, and that, if you'll remember, centered really around the concept of above reproach, and then we looked at ten areas that Express that above reproach characteristic today we 're going to look at the qualifications for deacons or godly qualified servants and I want you to see the important balance that deacon uh, diaconate sort of ministries brings to the church so essentially, deacons are called to serve they are called to be a part of the ministry and while the uh, the ministry of care and while elders primarily. Have this role of governance and leadership, deacons are called to a very special ministry of meeting the needs of people in moments of crisis, in moments of need, in the moments of life circumstances that come their way. We spent some time last week talking about the word elder, and today we need to talk about the word deacon. There are three words that are used sort of in a cluster to describe either the office of the deacon the ministry of deacon work, or the notion of what service for all of us really needs to be about. Those words are diakoneo, which means to serve. The word for service is um, diaconia, And then the word for deacon is diakonos. So you have an action, something you do a service a noun something that you perform or it describes what you are doing or it even has a, a title a position an office and that being that of deacon the word diakonos or diakonia is used over a hundred times throughout the new testament this this word cluster is used that many times and yet only two times in the bible is it used as a title So of all the times that it's used, it's used very infrequently as a title. It's only used in 1 Timothy 3 and also in Philippians chapter 1. The significance of that is this, that the meaning of the word is not just connected to the title, but rather the meaning of the word, the collection of words, Involves a nuance of service or waiting on tables, and over time the word came to mean something a little bit more broadly, more broadly defined it 's used throughout the New Testament as any kind of ministry service, such that in your in your Bibles you 'll have words translated like administration, minister, servant serve uh, serving relief and support. And so all of these words are translated or translated out of this word cluster of the 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 ministry of service. All of that to say is that when I talk about deacons, I'm not just talking about an office. This idea of service is something that every believer is called to personally embrace. In fact, let me show you this. Ephesians chapter 4 gives us the purpose as to why God has given us Prophets, teachers, and pastors, and I want you to see this. Paul says this, he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of diakonia, for the work of service, for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. And then 1 Corinthians 12, notice how it shows up here. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. There are varieties of diakonia, service, but the same Lord. So the point of all of this is simply that this idea of the diaconate is not just given as a charge to those who occupy the office of deacon. It's a calling for all of us to embrace, a very important calling, a calling that makes the church the church. A beautiful, wonderful entity that's not only known for the proclamation of the truth of God, but it also is a group of people who know how to live out that truth by caring and loving for one another. So it's all of us collectively are called to do this. And then there is a group of people who are specifically called by the church to be sure that this ministry of caring life on life with people really happens. And those folks are called deacons. They're called capital S, servants. In fact, uh, Paul uses this same word to describe the title of those who we would call public servants in Romans thirteen four. He describes those who are god 's servants for justice. And so there's a sense in which there 's an office, there 's a sense in which we are all called to do this individually and then to do it collectively and the role of a deacon is the one who then takes the responsibility to be sure that this is happening in the context of the church it takes the collective responsibility for deaconate work and says we're going to be sure that people don't fall through the cracks we're going to be sure that people in crisis have their needs met we're going to be sure that these needs are indeed taken care of It's a critical, service-oriented ministry that they provide leadership to. So while every one of us are called to diaconate sort of ministries at some level, there's a specific group appointed who provide leadership for this vital area. Now, what does this ministry entail? Well, similar to the elders, the, the Bible doesn't list out all of what they should do. It lists more about who they should be. If we take Acts 6 as our model, which I think is a close model to what the diakona is, it is this idea that when people's needs are not being met, a group of people step up and they organize to be able to meet those needs. And as I said last week, it appears that as churches were planted, elders were appointed, and then as the church grew and the needs got great, some elders were called in order to be, or some deacons were called rather, in order to meet the needs of this growing congregation. The best way to understand the role of a deacon is to think of it as those who model spiritual service and they work alongside the elders implementing the elder oversight and teaching in the practical life of the church. So you need to think of deacons as running parallel with the elders to be sure that the church is living out the the teaching, living out the proclamation, living out the governance that the elders are providing. Therefore, deacons could be involved in a variety of areas, all sorts of areas of spiritual service. It it could look different in, in various church settings and in different circumstances, but their main task is to ensure two things. Here's the summary. Deacons must help the church do two things. First, they must help the elders to maintain their focus on oversight through the word and prayer. They must do their job well so that the elders can also do their job well in a complementary fashion. The second thing that they must do is that they are called to meet the needs of the people in the congregation to ensure that people are not neglected. And so the deacons provide that very important, personal, flesh-on-flesh ministry of meeting the needs of people. Now, at College Park, we have three different sets of deacons. We have facility deacons, these are people who are committed to being sure that you come in and this facility is welcoming and useful and that there are things that um, you would just kind of take for granted every day that, that they are there to be sure that those things are well cared for. We also have compassion deacons, and these deacons uh, care for hurting people in times of crisis. They visit folks in the hospital and nursing homes. They, they care for our widows as well in an organized fashion. And we also have firsthand deacons, those who help our visitors and our guests and our new members to be sure that there's a welcoming and, and warm experience for all those who come and are a part of the ministry. Now, I'm just curious, do we have any of those deacons here, either facility, compassion, or first hand? If you're one of those folks, would you and your spouse stand so we can just know who you are? Stand quickly. Facility, compassion, firsthand, stand. Just So, so these folks right here. Yeah, thank you. Stay standing, stay standing. So I just want you to know that these are the folks that solve all of your problems right here. So they are ready, right? So thank you. you can be seated. So what, what they do is they provide an important backstop to be sure that people are really cared for. They're providing leadership for a very critical piece of what the church is supposed to be all about. They serve our body by taking care of very practical needs. They they make our church personal. They 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 make our church real. They help us live out our values. And so you need to understand that that the role of deacon is a really important part of the spiritual vitality of this church. They are called to serve, and we ought to thank God that he's called them to do that. Now, as with elders, there are qualifications for service. And one of the things just to note here is that this list is equally as robust as the list for elders. There's sometimes an unfortunate dichotomy that kind of develops that people think that the elders are the really spiritual qualified people and the deacons, they're just nice people, right? Or the elders where they can really teach and then the, the deacons are just really good with their hands. And, and what you need to see is that deacons in this context, they're not like the eighth grade B team. they're they're not like the guys that go in with two and a half minutes left in the game when you're down by you're up by 30 points they're not that that kind of group no these are the folks that um are parallel in terms of their role of ministry with the elders their role is incredibly important and one of my goals today whether you're a deacon or not i want to raise the specter of how important this role is in the body of christ in fact Paul even begins by saying, verse 8, deacons likewise. In other words, he's transitioning from what he's just said and all of its robust qualifications about elders. He's now going to transfer that right into talking about what it means to be a deacon. Let's look at these qualifications. There's a number of them. The first one is the deacons are called to be dignified. In the same way that above reproach was an overarching summary for elders, in the same way this word singularly dignified should be the the mark upon a deacon's life. The, the Greek word is used here for older men in Titus two two, and also in Philippians four eight, Paul uses it in regards to these are the things that you should think about, these honorable things. So the idea is, is that the person who is in this position is a dignified, honorable person, the kind of person you'd want to follow, the kind of person you'd, when you grow up you want to be like. One commentator says that this word has such a richness about it that it is impossible to limit it to just one English word. It means lofty things, majestic things, things that lift the mind from the cheap and tawdry to that which is noble and good and of moral worth. A deacon should be the kind of person who serves in such a way that it is clear that they are doing this out of love for Jesus and their love for the church, that they are a dignified, honorable person. They're honorable, respectable servants of the Lord. Secondly, not only dignified, he says the deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued. The word literally means two words. The meaning of the phrase is rather obvious. A deacon should be consistent and trustworthy in what he says. He should not be guilty of breaking confidence, saying one thing and then meaning another, or saying one thing to one person and then saying another to another person. There needs to be a moral consistency in how they talk. Their lives and their mouth should both be dignified. You want to be able to trust this person. So they should not be double-tongued. Third, not addicted to much wine. As we saw with the qualification of elders, a leader should not, should be known For his self-control, not for his addictions. The word addict means to give one's devotion to or to apply oneself to. And a deacon should not be known as a person who applies himself or has a devotion to alcohol. Not that abstinence is required. What it means is that he must not be addicted. Next, not greedy for dishonest gain. A deacon should have a right understanding of the place of money and should not be guilty of shameful gain. They should be known for their generosity, for their graciousness. A deacon should not be known for his ruthlessness, cutthroat, or morally questionable business practices. He should be known as a person who's characterized by generosity. Next, he's to have, the text says, He's to hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience, which this, this means he's to have a, a gospel-driven life. That word, little word mystery there doesn't mean something that's unknown. To hold the mystery of the faith, Paul uses mystery to refer to what was previously unknown and then God revealed it in Christ. So he, he uses the word mystery, Paul does, to describe the notion of what the gospel is, this idea that Jesus Christ came and died for sinners. And so Paul says he's to hold this mystery, this gospel with a clear conscience. What does that mean? It means that he knows not only that his sins are forgiven, he not only knows the Lord Jesus Christ as his personal savior, but he has a life that backs it up. He's got a clear conscience. I don't I don't know if it's just me or if I'm hearing something new but Uh, maybe it's just I've watched more football interviews in the last uh, six months than I have in my entire life. But I hear more and more professional athletes saying, I want to thank my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Maybe that's the effect of Tim Tebow. I don't know if it is. Thank God for him. And I, I rejoice in that, and that's all wonderful. And yet there's a little part of me that just gets really nervous. And I just, when they say something like that, I just like, man, stick with it, please. <laughs> stick with it, please. Don't just stick with it till like you're 65 years old. So he's receiving some award. He's, I thank my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I, I want that. That's what I want. Not just a young guy at 22. I want that, but I want the whole thing. And the idea is he holds the mystery of his faith with a clear conscience all the way to the end. That's the idea. What I also want you to notice here is that deacons have a powerful ability to show people how the gospel really works. Listen, it's one thing just to say something about the gospel. It's another to show people how it really works in terms of not only how we live, but how we serve one another. So some of you, I mean, honestly, you would never be able to, you would never want to get up and talk to a group of people or do any kind of teaching. And and the reality is By your act of service, you do more good for the body of Christ than any teacher possibly could. Because you verify that what we believe and teach is real. And therefore, by showing a gospel-driven life in terms of your service, you're giving evidence that the gospel really does work. Next, the word is proven. It says, and let them also be, also be tested first, and then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. They're to be proven. In a similar fashion that Paul warned about a, um, a young convert becoming an elder too quickly, so in this case, he says that a, a deacon should be proven. It seems that he's suggesting that there should be a sufficient amount of time in order for the candidate to be really known and for the evident, evidence of his character to be seen. The word for test is the word that's used for testing of metals, to test its purity and its genuineness. And so there needs to be um, some sort of ability to know if this person is the real deal. And honestly, that just takes time. Now here's something that is worth just stopping and thinking about and talking about briefly it relates to what I said last week about aspiring to the office of, of overseer. You might wonder, so what if I do aspire to the office of elder? What if I do aspire to the office of overseer? What do I do? And here would be my answer to you, the best answer that I could give you. If you want to be an elder, if you want to be a deacon, here's the answer. Prove yourself faithful. Prove yourself trustworthy. Prove yourself blameless in the areas that God has given you right now. Every once in a while, I run into a young guy who, who wants to be in, in ministry. He wants to be a leader, and yet he won't be a leader in the here and now. If you want to be involved in spiritual service, then go serve in the children's area and, and see how you manage goldfish, like right? little little graham crackers. See how you manage that, and if you prove faithful in that, then maybe you can move up to Legos. And then from there, you can move up to teaching the lesson, or maybe it's involved just being a part of the, the, the greeter ministry here, or taking care of... of, of, of parking lot issues or helping in in our our food service arena the the, the issue is this that god's called you to small and important areas but prove faithful there if you think you're too big for that you know what you get to the other area you'll think you're too big for that one too so the idea is that there's this provenness that is demonstrated in small and unseen ways when our elders look for people who are qualified for these offices we look for people who are serving the kind of people who see ministry as a lifestyle they don't see it as a position we look for people who demonstrate faithfulness in small out of sight areas because we know that if they can prove faithful if they prove faithful in those then they can be trusted with greater levels of authority and specifically what we're looking for is we want to know can the person be trusted not to use the official position for themselves can the can the person really handle being involved in this and have it not be about them you need to prove that you really are serving jesus not serving yourself by serving jesus there's a big difference next verse 11 says their wives likewise must be dignified not slanderers but sober minded faithful in all things it says that the qualification here is faithful qualified wives It's interesting that Paul adds a brief statement about the qualification of wives of deacons. Some think it's because that there was a problem in Ephesus with some of the wives of the deacons. We need to unpack this because it's... There's a number of things that are here, but before we get into those words, let me just also highlight for you that there's another way to take verse 11 besides seeing it as translated as wives. In fact, the NIV and the NASB translate the Greek word gune, not as wives, but as women. Some, for some decent reasons, see this as identifying another office, that of the office of deaconess as if it's a completely separate office, that these women were called to very specifically be involved in acts of service. Now, remember, all of us are called to be be involved in acts of service, regardless of the position or the office. I don't think that's what's going on here, though, for two reasons. Um, first, it seems like if you read through the passage, you can see the flow of the text that Paul is talking about these deacons, these deacons, and then it would just make sense that he then begins talking about their wives, not that he would suddenly talk about a different office and then go back to talking about these deacons again. So, so that's one reason. The second reason is it seems if you follow Paul's argument that he moves now into talking about the family. In fact, that's what follows in the the verses that are coming up, for instance, verses 12, uh, particularly verse 12. So it just seems to me that Paul is talking about a deacon and his wife, and not that if there was an office of deaconess, that wouldn't I wouldn't think bump up against that qualification dynamic that we saw in first timothy 2 about a woman not exercising authority i don't think deaconess violates that so if someone were to want that or see it that way it wouldn't violate that passage in my view but i don't think that's what paul has in mind here a separate office i think he's referring to the wives of deacons now what does he say about them well he says this that first they are to be dignified interestingly it's the same word that's used of the deacons themselves they are they and their wives are to be known as respectable people. He also says they're not to be slanderers. Their wives, their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanderers. The Greek word here is the word diablos. You hear the word deceiver, Satan in there from Matthew four one. The wives of ministry leaders are not to slander people. And here's the thing. And if they do so, they use their tongues for malicious and even satanic purposes. They must have control over their tongues. They're also to be sober-minded She's to be clear-headed, not clouded by other things that would potentially control her. And she's finally, it says, to be faithful in all things. She must be worthy of the trust given to her and her husband. And she must know that her actions reflect directly on her husband's credibility and even his qualifications so in some cases i think a wife can very quickly and easily discredit and disqualify her husband even though he is qualified she may not make them as a couple qualified she like her husband should be a model of godliness and someone worthy of the honor of serving then paul in verse 12 turns to the family again that they he is to have this deacon solid family leadership This is something similar to what we heard in our last study in um, the first part of 1 Timothy 3 regarding elders. It says, let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. Again, husband of one wife. That means, as we saw last week, he's to be a one-woman man. He's to be known for marital faithfulness. Now, one of the joys of preaching to a group of people week after week. And one of the joys of having email is that folks, after I talk about something, invariably send some questions. And a number of questions came in last week on this particular subject. And let me just speak to it. The question is, how far back does this character requirement go? In other words, how far back does the one woman man requirement really have to be Does one have to, for instance, have been morally faithful throughout his entire married life? What if it was before Christ? What if after Christ? How does one think about that? It's a really important question. And honestly, it's not an easy one to answer. But I think what Paul had in mind here is that the people being considered had a long enough track record of purity and faithfulness that it was clear that they were presently a one-woman man. A failure or multiple failures in your past, for instance, wouldn't necessarily permanently disqualify you, from my view, but there needs to be enough time to give evidence that you have proven your credibility in terms of moral faithfulness and fidelity. So, Paul says these deacons are to be one-woman men. He also says, again, about the importance of family management. He says, managing their children and their own households well. He should be a proven leader at home, and he should provide family leadership that then just simply moves over into church family leadership. So that's the list the qualifications. I don't know about you, but when I go through lists like this again, I'm reminded that this is a really serious calling. This character list is in the Bible for a significant reason. And I'm struck that, you know, really there's so many parallels between elders and deacons that the only thing that is materially different is this notion of able to teach, that this role of deacon is a really significant role in the body of Christ. And that tells me this, that the church not only needs godly men to provide solid teaching, discipleship, and governance in the form of eldership, but the church also needs, it has to have, godly Godly, qualified men who serve as the servant leaders in the church. It's enormously important for the church to have health and balance by having godly elders, but also by having godly deacons, elders who proclaim the word and lead well, but deacons who care for the needs of the body. And friends, when those two things are healthy and vibrant and robust and godly, church is a beautiful thing. When either of those two things get off, if the church doesn't do well in terms of leadership and teaching, or if the church doesn't do well in terms of caring, you know as well as I do, that is not a church that feels healthy and whole. It's no wonder that the Bible has given us... So many specific instructions on what these roles are to be like Now it concludes in verse 13 with rewards for service so The Bible doesn't ever shy away from rewards. It says, look, if you serve well, here's what's going to happen. Here's the benefits. Here's the joy, the, the blessings that come. Look at verse 13. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. So there's two rewards. Did you see them there? The first reward is good standing. Good standing. What does he mean by this? The word standing means a step or advancement or rank. Now, it's not as though he's somehow suggesting that you've become a, a deacon, that you're kind of stepping it up. You're, you're, you're becoming more important than others. Un- unfortunately, maybe you grew up in a home or an environment like that where there were some deacons or elders who, man, that was their title. They, they, they came to church and they were a deacon and, and, or, or they took another role in the church and they became you know the head usher, you know? And in fact, you may raise in in church like I was, was that head usher was the husher usher. You know what I'm talking about? So he walked around and he had the gift of shushing. He just shushed people all the time, you know. And sometimes you just wanted to tell him, hey, you know, just back off, husher usher, right? It just, it just, you just wanted to tell him to shush a little bit, right? So you get too much a part of your identity, too much a part of who you are. What does it mean? Good standing. What does it mean by rank? What does that mean? It means this. It means that those who serve well as honorable people, they will be honored as such. And you know exactly, because you know what I'm talking about. You can think of people in your life. These were humble, quiet servants who just served the church faithfully. They weren't upfront people. They weren't great and compelling folks who could motivate a crowd. But you know what they were? They were faithful, behind-the-scenes people. And you thought in the back of your mind, you know what? When I grow up, I want to be like Jim. I want to be like John. I want to I be like Mo. right? i throwing an old name in there. So I want to be like somebody who's just, they've proven faithful for so many years. And they gain a good standing. Someone that you would tell your kids, watch, watch how Jim serves. Watch him. You, we need to be like Jim. That, that, a good standing, that's what it means. The second thing here is also really interesting. It says he also gains great confidence. I love this. This is probably my favorite little part of this entire text. Paul uses this term confidence for openness or clarity of speech. He uses it for boldness. So what's he saying here? He's saying this. I mean, check this out. That when a deacon or somebody serves, and they serve in a way that really meets people's needs, and they're there in life's crisis moments, and they get to see the way that the Word of God and the Gospel, when pressed into people's difficult circumstances, that it really, really works. They get to see the beauty of what happens when God's Word and people's circumstances are met and suddenly beautiful things take place. This is what happens when the Word of God comes very close to people in their difficult circumstances, in their hardship. And as a result, it gives him confidence and greater authority to speak. Why? Because he knows it's real because he's seen it show up in crisis. Listen, I know this personally. Um, and this is why, for me, this this whole notion—it's still important for me—to um, figure out how to live this out in a lead pastor role at a church this size. For me personally, see, in my last church, there was just a few pastors, and so nearly every funeral I did, um, every baby that was born, I was there at the hospital. Most crisis moments, I was there, and you know, that was a lot. And in this size of a congregation, there's no way I could possibly do that. But let me tell you something. One of the things I've had to try and figure out here, candidly, is how to be able to still have some of those things in my life and in my schedule how to be able to still be at funerals, still be able to make some hospital calls, still be able to to handle a couple counseling loads. And here's why. Because without those things in your life, your soul begins to shrivel because the gospel was not just meant to be declared and then left there. It was meant to be interacted in life on life. Counseling is a beautiful but hard thing because when you're telling people the Bible, they talk back at you. I mean, you don't, gratefully do that when i'm doing this you know no one says i disagree don't do that here okay please you'll, you'll throw my rhythm don't do that send me an email and we can talk but in the counseling i've had people say i disagree i don't agree with that and you got to figure it out and it's this life-on-life thing when you see people who are ministered the word of god in their crisis when they're grieving in their greatest moments and in their sorrows you walk away from that i'm telling you going this thing is real You see Jesus show up in a hospital room. You see him transform a marriage. You see him meet the needs of people in the darkest of darkest moments. It increases your confidence and you walk away going, my savior is alive. And that's why I'm saying that if you just simply listen and you leave and you don't have anybody that you're pouring your life into, if you think that diaconate ministry is just for deacons, you are missing out not only on the beautiful thing of what it means to serve people, but the fact that it increases your confidence that this thing that you believe is seriously the real deal. It makes you confident that what you believe is true and that Jesus really works. So this week I got an email from, um, from Dale. Um, there was a man who was a member of our church who was a part of the Super Bowl uh, NFL experience, and he had a massive heart attack, and he, he died. His name was Larry. And um, Larry McCullough. And Dale sent me this email. He said, you might remember Larry's story. Joe Bart interviewed him at a membership class in 2011 and we weren't totally comfortable with his testimony And so I was given this is Dale writing his documentation for me to follow up with him and talk about the gospel so Larry and I met in my office on a Sunday morning. I took him through sin and grace, substitutionary atonement, faith and repentance. And Larry kept nodding and crying and affirming. When I finished the part about repentance, he said, yes, yes, that's what it's inside me right now. That's what I want. That's right. That's what I'm all about. And I said, Larry, if you believe this and act upon your belief, you can know that you are God's son in Jesus Christ. He stood up, he hugged me and just started weeping. The next Sunday, he came out of the service, and the sermon was so right for him that he said he was going to go back and listen to it again. Two weeks later, he got baptized, became a member at College Park Church. It meant so much to him to be a member. He started coming to every membership class, running the sound booth with Richard Nelson, He was in the Word every day, just abiding with Jesus, and the transformation in his life was astounding. Both Richard and Susan Nelson were amazed at the change in Larry's life over the past year. He was just so satisfied with Christ and so glad to be free from the chains that held him down before Jesus. This afternoon, while the Nelsons and Leslie and Larry were at the Super Bowl experience, Larry had a massive heart attack and died. I am so profoundly moved by this because the evidence of Jesus was in his life and it was so incredible. I think that Larry was 57 years old. Friends, I share that with you because you just need to know that the ministry to the gospel, the ministry of the gospel in people's lives in a flesh-on-flesh scenario is incredibly important in their moment of need and crisis and when they have questions. And that—that that is what... Deacons do this is what first-hand deacons do. This is what compassion deacons do This is what facility deacons do They care for the needs of the body and help us to be able to be not just a place that's known for what we teach But also a place that's known that we care So here's my charge What is what's your calling in all of this? How do you fit because you got to fit somewhere? And in light of what I've said about elders last week and deacons this week, I just want to leave you with some just quick pastoral charges. Here's the first one, and it's this. Would you please be godly? I know it sounds basic, but when I went over this list again on deacons and elders, I'm just reminded that you know what we need? We we don't need better singers or better speakers or better musicians. We don't need better teachers or or better people who are administrators. You know what we need? All those things we need, but you know what we need? We need godly people remember one time having a man in my last church come up to me. He said, Mark, what can I do for you? What can I do for you? And I said to him, be godly. He's like, whoa, I'm serious. I said, just be godly. What he didn't know is that all week long I had dealt with marriages blown up. I dealt with self-centered people and immoral things that were going on in the context of our body. And I just wanted somebody to be godly for the rest of their life. And I said to him, just be godly. For 70 years, just be godly and don't stop. Just be godly. And he's like, all right, all right, I got it. Just had it. And I'm not joking. I had it with sin. So please, for crying out loud, be godly. You want to do something for this church? Do that. Don't ever have your name as a part of our discipline committee agenda. Please. Just be godly. Two. Be involved. As I worked through this list, I was struck again as to why I love the ministry of the gospel so much. I'm reminded again that if you are not involved in the lives of people, you are missing out not just on an opportunity to serve, but you are missing out on an opportunity to see that this thing called Jesus is real. This thing called following Christ is the real deal. Yeah, it's messy. Yeah, it's painful. You shed tears. You wonder how this ever going to turn out. You can't believe the bad stuff that happens, but at the end of the day, if you're not involved, it... You won't see that it really works. Your faith in the gospel will begin to diminish. Third, be open. It may be that God today is calling you to do something that's beyond your sphere of what you think is your ability, your comfort zone. It may be that God wants to use you in ways that you don't want to be used, maybe in less significant ways. And my calling and my ask today would simply that you would be open to what God is inviting you to do. Next, would you please be faithful? God will not likely entrust to your care a larger ministry or a larger platform until you have proven yourself to be faithful in the smaller, less significant ways. Allow God to use you just where you are, even if it's disappointing. Be faithful to where God has called you today. If your role is picking up Cheerios in the third grade classroom, then you pick up Cheerios like nobody's ever done it in the history of this church. At your graveside, let people say, he was the best cherry picker I've ever seen in my life. That guy could do that thing. You just do it for the glory of God and do it. I'm using a ridiculous example, but yet you could apply it in a thousand really important ways. You know exactly what I'm talking about. Be faithful to the things God has called you to do. And the final thing would be this. Would you please be watchful? And by this, I mean being watchful in prayer. Once again, when I went over this list, I was just reminded of the importance of praying very specifically for our leadership. When you go today and sign up for that e-news thing that I talked about, there's a little box that we added this week called Elder Prayer. And once a month, Don Bartimus is going to send out a little list of some things that you can be praying for our elders. And if you'd like just to be a part of that prayer team just once a month, just to pray for our elders, would would you do that? Because the reality is, is the folks that I serve with, these are... I love these guys. These are awesome men who love Jesus and want to do right and want to follow the Lord with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. And you know what? These men need you to pray for them. We need you to ask God to give us power and love and sound minds because at the end of the day we are talking about the church, the bride of Christ, a pillar and buttress of the truth. And what we need is not just people to declare the truth of God's word, but we also need the caring heart that matches it because when the church becomes this place where the truth is known, but when the truth is also lived, the church is a glorious, beautiful thing. And in order for the church to be healthy, It has to have godly elders and godly deacons. Elders who lead and deacons who really can meet people's needs in their moment of crisis. When that happens, the church is a beautiful, beautiful thing. Father, I pray that you'd help us to live out this call of the diaconate work to see that our that everything I say today won't matter unless your people figure out how to be able to care for one another. And I thank you for the countless ways in which your word has shown up in people's crisis. I thank you for the privilege of being able to be there in those moments. And I, I ask you to help us all to see this diaconate role as that which we all embrace together. And Father, for those who are here today, and when I talk about crisis, they're in it, I I pray that today they would not leave unloved or uncared for, that this might be a place that would help them and to set them on a better path, or at least to be able to make it another 24 hours in their valley of trial. And so we thank you that you give us everything we need for life and godliness in your word. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.